Thumb, come and stand here with me. It is a privilege for me, on behalf of the college, to welcome the Reverend Thelma McLeod, the senior pastor of the Bethany Memorial Baptist Church near Kentville. At my age, I don't use senior a lot. I call oh, lead pastor. Lead pastor? <laughs> hmm. Are you, that might be something I have to think about, too. Uh, this is, you can tell, a good friend and someone who I value in terms of being in my life, in our life as a family. Um, I was thinking of you as we were singing, that you exemplify those words because in your... Thelma came to the college and did a Master of Divinity, but her, earlier, uh, she well, very early, she was born in Sackville, New Brunswick, lived most of her life in Dartmouth, uh, came into ministry, uh, has come back on numerous occasions and, and been very involved in the life of the college. She's been a mentor in our, uh, what we used to call SFE, which is our mentored ministry program now. Uh, she loves the college. She loves students. Uh, she, some of you are part of the church family at Bethany Memorial. Um, we just look forward to the word that God has to give to us through you. Uh, this is a person who has walked uh, many paths of life, knows what it is to have great blessing, and knows what it is to go through deep valleys of sorrow. And uh, since coming to Bethany Memorial, her husband passed away, and to watch her continue to serve a congregation uh, out of that kind of pain, and yet also understanding uh, as a pastor coming alongside so many. So you come to us as a Christian leader, uh, someone who God has, not only has it, is using, but I think you, he's led you through some uh, mountaintops and deep valleys, and out of that you serve very well. So let's pray for Thelma that she would uh, be free in the Spirit to give us the Word. Lord, we stand together with Thelma today, your servant, our friend, much beloved by so many, Lord, free her up today to say the things that are on her heart and in her mind, and we wait to hear from you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. And thank you for the wonderful privilege of being here. I'm using a little bit of speaker's prerogative, if I may. I talked to them uh, before the service, and I know that you normally have a meditative part at the very end. And I'm thinking, well, a lot of us are going to be very anxious to go for some pizza, but at the same time, this just seemed to fit at this place. So if we could just take a moment. Um, and I had a couple of ideas on my heart and in my mind, and these five words would not go away. What are you doing here? And many of us would think about Elijah and how Elijah was running from Jezebel for his life and he was afraid and he was tired and he was alone and he was burned out and he was discouraged and he was defeated and he had everything out of perception. And God challenged him and he said, Elijah, what are you doing here? But having said that, I hope we'll put Elijah aside and put our name to those five words. I don't know where you are this morning in your life. I know studies are very heavy right now. I don't know really where you are in your walk with him. So this is very personal and very individual. Will you let God say to you for just a moment, what are you doing here? And add your name. And ask him to help you 
with the answer, What are you doing here? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Let's just take a moment. God, we are here by your plan and your design. I ask that you would diminish me, that we might hear from you. Make our hearts teachable. Open our minds, our hearts, our lives to hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the message title, Seminary, Pulpit, and Pews. The Pews. I came into the... uh, pastorate late, so over the years I've spent a lot of hours in the pews listening to many preachers and many sermons. And I graduated from this seminary in 2005, so I'm going to be brave enough because I know a number of you and have kept in touch uh, to speak to you this morning as faculty, staff, and students. And I've been a pastor at Bethany Memorial Baptist for over 11 years now, so I've done time in the pulpit. (laughs) And I'm usually an expository preacher, that's my comfort level, but this morning I only have three verses of scripture, three separate ones, that I am going to weave into the message. I have a note card that I use at Bethany, on the front is the picture of the church, and on the bottom it says, Thoughts from Thelma. Uh, This morning I do pray that they may be thoughts through Thelma, but from God to all of us. So I'm going to talk for a moment about bubbles. (laughs) I think young children still enjoy blowing bubbles despite our computer age. And if you are anything like me, I can um, camouflage under a kid and enjoy blowing bubbles. (coughs) But tying that to the message, I think we all have to admit that sometimes we get some lofty ideas about ourselves and our abilities and our importance And we kind of hope that no one's going to come along and burst our bubble. And along comes Thelma on March 8th. And God has burst a few of my bubbles as I have prepared for this message this morning. So I hope I can now lay it on to him if he speaks to you and bursts any bubbles here this morning. But here we are in a seminary. So what bubbles might there be around teaching and preaching? Professors. Preachers, students, just two I'm going to mention this morning. Bubble number one, I asked Keith what you might need to hear or want to hear this morning, and he said that many of the recent messages have focused on the strengths and the gifts of leadership. So would you agree that we all think or we hope or we have this goal that we're just going to keep on getting better and better and better as we keep on preaching and teaching and move on in leadership? And we may think that we're going to get to this point that when we preach and when we teach, we are just going to come to a point that we astound people, that they will hear the many points and they will walk away pondering our profound points that we've left with them, transformative, life-changing points from us. They've heard through us and from us. Well, one pastor put it very much into perspective. He says that our people in our congregations get about a thimbleful 
from us before they leave, and by the time they get to the door, they have spilled at least half of it. (laughs) Astounding, indelible, unforgettable sermons. Well, of all the sermons I have heard, I only really, really remember three. Now, I need to qualify. We have Dr. McNally with us at Bethany, and he preaches powerful, powerful sermons. It's hard to follow him. And Dr. Bob was there on Sunday as our anniversary speaker. And I am going to mention a couple of sermons in the message that I've heard very recently. But back over the years, three stand out from all those sermons. Number one was from Kevin Vincent. Some of you know him. It was when he was a a student pastor. And he preached on the Lord saying to Moses, Moses, what are you holding in your hand? And Moses said, my shepherd's staff. And God said, throw it down. And Moses needed that and wanted it. And God said, throw it down. Sermon material for you. (laughs) Second one was Dr. Harold Mitten. He stood here. It was Dora Crosby's retirement service. And he preached his statement of faith. I believe. I believe. It was beautiful. And Dr. Gardner, I'm not trying to win any brownie points here this morning, but you preached at my ordination service, and I was sitting in a front pew, and you were, stand, you were up there on, that, uh, on the platform, and you said, Thelma, you can't save anyone. Do you hear me, Thelma? You can't save anyone. And I was going, yes, sir, as I kind of... <laughs> And a lot of my friends today would say, would you please preach it to her again because she's still out there trying to save and look after people. But you explain to us, it's only the Holy Spirit that can save anyone. It's only the Holy Spirit that can do anything in kingdom work through you and through me. But three out of a whole lifetime of listening to preachers and speakers. And just to be clear, I do need to clarify that I would never minimize the work, the sweat, and the tears that need to go into both preaching and teaching, the pulpit and the classroom. We cannot think that we can do a Saturday night midnight special and expect God to use us Sunday morning. won't work. And Dr. Jonathan Wilson, when he was here as a professor in one of my classes, he said, if you preach that which is not true, Because you've not done your homework. If you preach what is not true, you are preaching heresy. I think I was ready to leave the college that day. He put the very fear of God right into my heart. But Dr. Jonathan Wilson still sits on my shoulder often as I prepare to preach. So bursting the bubble number one, the bubble of our importance in our preaching and teaching. Paul doesn't hold back. He says, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given you. And scholars debate that final part of that, measuring ourselves by the faith that God has given us. The one I like best is that it's a standard by which to measure ourselves, holding up our evaluation of ourselves against our saving faith in Christ crucified, Only the gospel of the cross, Christ himself, in judgment and in mercy, enabling us to evaluate ourselves. Well, the second bubble is a bubble in which we sometimes hide or separate ourselves, convincing ourselves that we teach and we preach to them. 
I recently listened to a sermon by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a, a Welsh Protestant minister, passed away back in 1981. He said something that I knew, and yet it struck me. I had never really heard it stated in this way, and he said the epistles are written for church people. And if you had asked me, I would have said, well, yes, basically, let me think about it a bit, but what Paul wrote. But how often do we have a tendency to preach Paul's words in his epistles as if they are just to non-believers instead of to us, the church? So in the same way, how easy it is for us as preachers and teachers to think that our preaching about sin and the cross and resurrection and redemption is for them to hear. The second verse of scripture this morning. Second Chronicles 7.14. If I start it, I imagine most of you can say it along with me. I even saw it on Facebook on Saturday. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. That's easy to preach, isn't it? My people. However, even though we probably wouldn't want to admit it, how often do we have the attitude that my people means my congregation, or my students in my class, they need to hear. They need to humble themselves and pray and seek God and change. They need to turn from their wicked ways. There was a lady by the name of Gert Bahanna, YouTuber. She's priceless. Gert was the only child of a wealthy Scotch immigrant. She was thoroughly spoiled, became an alcoholic and a drug addict, and divorced from, I think it was, three husbands. We could preach and we could teach right into her life, couldn't we? Because she would be one of them. And she says, if you commit adultery, you know exactly what you're doing and that it's wrong. And she said, if you escape into alcoholism and you fall down drunk, you know what you have done, and if you forget, somebody's going to remind you. But she said, look out when you graduate, when you graduate to those Christian sins, snide Christian sins, proud of not being proud. She said she was a snob about snobs. She looked down on people who looked down on people. She said she had overheard a group of preachers competing. How many souls have you led to Christ? She hadn't heard Dr. Gardner (laughs) preach my ordination service. Self-righteousness. Now there's a peach of a sin, she says. Self-righteousness. And self-appointed martyrs. President of the Poor Me Club. I work so hard. I'm sacrificing so much for the Lord. That will do just fine as a sin, she says. Is God bursting our bubble this morning and saying to us, my people, my preachers, my teachers, my seminary students, you who are called by my name, humble yourselves and pray and seek my face and turn from your Christian sins. Well, what do we do with this? I burst two bubbles. That's all I'm going to do on you this morning. Let's do something with it. A week ago, Saturday, I was personally wounded. It happens. And I just said, Lord, I need a sermon. Speak to me through someone. And I went to YouTube. 
And I did a search of Francis Chan, and I got a sermon. And his message was about an hour long, but as he came to near the end of it, he talked about John 17. It's a favorite chapter of mine. Another story I don't have time to tell this morning. But it's Jesus' great intercessory prayer, Jesus interceding for us. And Francis Chan zeroed in on verse 18 about just as. Jesus said, Father, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world just as. But then verse 21, so that. Hear this from Jesus' prayer for us. Verse 21, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. So you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe that you sent me. And Francis Chan was visibly wrestling with that as he held his Bible in his hand, and he said he had a hard time coming to grips with those words. Really? That our unity, our love, all of us as one in Christ, that our love for each other in Christ could cause anyone, let alone the world, to believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Surely it takes more than that for people to believe, does it not? Surely it takes our apologetics, maybe a miracle or two. Maybe it takes listing all the prophecies of Jesus up to and into the New Testament to prove that he was sent by God. Surely it takes great professors and great preachers to cause the world to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, doesn't it? Is it possible that that verse could be true? I'm not going to wrap this all up this morning in a neat little package and tie a ribbon around it with a bow on top. I just heard that a week and a half ago, and I'm, I'm still wrestling with it. I'm going to leave it with you. You're very expert now in exegeting. More importantly, I leave it with God to pierce all of our hearts. You may be the professor this morning whose course everyone wants to take, or not. <laughs> you may be the speaker, the pastor, the upcoming pastor that everyone wants to hear, or not. But could it really be possible that if people walked into our churches and if they could say, wow, I've never seen people love and care for each other like this anywhere, is it possible that even without a sermon they could believe in Jesus as the Messiah? Could it really be possible that if outside professors and educators and business leaders could walk into this college and if they could say, I've never seen professors and staff and president and vice president and academic dean love and care for each other like this in any university anywhere, is it possible that from that some of those people could come to know Jesus Christ? And could it really be possible that if people from what we call down the hill and other cultures and other faiths walked into our classrooms and sat with students here and sat in the student lounge and had pop and pizza with the president today, that they could say, no way. I've never seen people love and care for each other like this. I want to know Jesus. Jesus prayed the words. 
that the world would see us loving and caring for each other and believe in him. John 17, 21. Can it really be true?